Good morning, Southview. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. Here are your big three announcements for this week. Men, if you haven't yet done so, please sign up for this year's men's retreat happening September 29th through October 1st. The cost is $175 for adult male and $110 for youth. Pastor Brad will be giving some more information about this in just a few moments. In the meantime, please text the word retreat to 910-424-1298 to sign up. Next up, please join us in praying for our youth ministry as they have a busy summer of travel coming up. From Red Springs, North Carolina, to Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, to Normandy, France, our youth will be traveling all over the world. Our prayer for them is simple, that God would use these experiences to mold them and conform them more to His image, and that He would send them out as more effective witnesses and laborers for the kingdom of God. This week, we'd like to highlight our First Impressions ministry. From the time our guests and members first arrive onto the property to the time they exit the sanctuary at the end of the service, the First Impressions team is a hugely important ministry in making people feel loved, welcomed, and informed. If this sounds like a good fit for you, please simply text the word SERVE to the number 910-424-1298. We encourage everyone to download the Southview Baptist Church app through either iTunes or Google Play. Through the app, you'll be able to view other announcements, sign up for events, find a journey group, review past sermons, or look up the notes for today's sermon. There are also multiple ways to give here at Southview. You can give online, through the app, or at the giving boxes located near the doors as you exit the sanctuary. If you're a guest with us today, we are so glad you're here worshiping with us. We would love to connect with you. You can help us accomplish this by simply texting the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. This is how we can get to know who you are, pray for you, and find out if there are any specific ways in which we might minister to you. Thank you all for worshiping with us today. We pray God's blessings for you during this service. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Stand with us. We're going to sing. But before we do, I want to remind you of something very important. Consider this. Consider this, that we are called into this room. We are called into this congregation because of the work of Christ on the cross. Isn't that amazing? And because the God of the universe, the creator of all things, has made a way for us to 
confess our sins and be made whole through Christ and Christ alone. And because these are true, we don't have to sing. We don't have to gather. We get to. And so I would encourage you that as we sing, as we pray, as we celebrate these truths, do so with a heart that is turned ever closer to our Creator, our God, who has made a way. Let us magnify His name today. Let's sing and celebrate.
Savior nailed to wash our feet. Now at His feet we
consider these passages, church. First John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And we can say with total agreement with the psalmist, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever because of the work of Christ on the cross. Those that believe, as Pastor Brad will, will talk about here in just a few minutes, you have already been freed from sin. You have been freed from the wrath of God and death and destruction. These are things that we celebrate. The purpose of our gathering is to glorify Christ and to encourage the body, you know, that as we sing these things, as we hear these words preached, that we are edified. And my prayer for you and for us, church, is simply that we would turn a little closer to Christ today and we would be made more like him. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you for these times and I pray that you would have your great and glorious work. In Christ's name we pray.
if you are here in the service today and you are a part of our Kenya mission team heading off this week, would you be so kind as to come up here? No, I did not tell you I was going to do that before right now. So if you're on that team, come on up. Uh, we've got a team heading to Kenya uh, here uh, in just a couple of days. Head out uh, Tuesday, I believe. Come on up here, guys. Come all the way up front. All the way to the top. All the way to the top. So heading out on Tuesday to Kenya. So we want to take just a quick second and pray over this team. Um, and there are uh, quite a few more that are heading as well that aren't a part of, that are in this service today. Uh, we want to take a second and pray for this team. Pray for, obviously, their safety as they travel, as they go and they minister. Um, but really more than that, we're praying that the Lord goes before them and is preparing, as he already has, we know, preparing the field, uh, ready for harvest of souls, ready for people to come to faith in him. Great ministry to be done in Jesus' name. So let's just take a minute, pray for this team. And pray that God makes them mighty and strong and powerful and effective for the gospel and the kingdom of God in Jesus' name as they go out. So let's pray for this team, okay? Lord, I just, I thank you for every one of these folk that are willing to take time and personal money and sacrifice and resources to go be a part of this trip. Who are willing to step out by faith and go. Because they believe that you have called every one of us to be a part of the Great Commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is their small way of being a part of that. So God, I thank you for that. I pray, God, for each of these folk that they would experience genuine blessing from you, God. For being willing to step out by faith and be obedient and do that. I pray for them as they go. That you would go before them. We pray, God, that you would bless them and anoint their efforts. We ask you, Lord God, that it will be a time of real fruits, that they will be able to see your kingdom advancing as they work. And I pray, God, for them personally, God, as they go through this week. God, it will be a time of great spiritual growth in them, that you would bear out brand new things in them, that you would allow them to walk in even greater faith for your glory. And I pray, Lord, for the rest of us, that you would raise up more like them who would be willing to step out and say, I want to go. I want to go and see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. Show me how I can be a part of that. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up many more. May their tribe increase for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, give these guys a hand. Thank you, guys. And please, please, please continue to remember them in prayer over the next 10 days or so as they are traveling and ministering. And we will be sure to keep you updated via our social media as to how they're doing and what the Lord is doing uh, through them. Well, if you have a Bible, let's um, find the book of Romans together, all right? We're in a series called I Love That Verse. And uh, the point of the series really is to highlight some really cool scriptures that, that are foundational to the Christian faith. And if I'm really honest, uh, the verses that we're sharing over the next several weeks in this series are verses that I personally just like a lot. 
Uh, so there are verses that have been foundational, influential in my life. Gives you a little bit of an insight into my personal walk with the Lord. Verses that have been influential in my growth in bearing out spiritual fruit. And, um, and so just really just wanted to go through some verses where, again, as you read the Bible and you come across some verses, and you go, man, I love that verse. Um, so basically, I just flipped through my Bible and found a bunch that I highlighted and starred and, and wrote a bunch by. And it's like, I want to preach that one. And since I'm the guy with the mic, what you going to do about it, right? So, so Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Romans 6, verse 11. So the big idea for today is holiness, all right? How do we as Christians live holy lives. So if you go to Romans chapter 5, we're going to be in 6, but if you were to back up into chapter 5, what you're going to see is the Bible's going to tell you that you become a Christian based off the grace of God and not your good works. I've got great news for you. You ready for this? You being a Christian, you becoming a Christian today, if you're not a Christian and today you become a Christian, listen to this. You becoming a Christian today has zero to do with your ability or effort to stop sinning. Nothing to do with that. In fact, Romans 5 is going to say you become a Christian when you're a sinner and an enemy of God. Jesus died for you when you were his enemy. When you, literally the Bible would use the word hated God. But the question is, if you becoming a Christian has nothing to do with your ability to stop sinning, then what do we do with our sin? Does that mean that we can keep sinning? If, if we're saved by grace alone, does that mean we can keep on sinning? Because after all, God forgives, right? What do we do with that? So that's where we get Romans chapter 6, verse 11, and it says, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what does this mean for us? In our walk with the Lord, what does this mean for us in dealing with sin? What does this mean for us in growing, growing in holiness and walking in righteousness? In order for us to really get the full brunt of Romans six eleven, we got to back up to verse one. All right, so we're going to start off in Romans chapter six, verse one, and get a running start to verse eleven. All right, so let's start Romans chapter six, verse one. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? The question that he is asking here is, if you have a Bible, circle the word continue, all right? Or if you have NIV, it may say something like keep on sinning, something like that. Uh, the Greek word there is meno, all right? And it means to live, to dwell somewhere. So the question it's asking is, is it okay for someone to be a Christian and keep living in sin? Can you do that, right? Can you be a Christian and keep living in sin? Because after all, God forgives and he's gracious, right? And so we just keep on sinning. Is that a thing you can do? Verse 2 answers the question. By no means. That's Greek for, are you kidding me? Right? Are you out your mind? No. By no means. Can't happen. Hard stop. Period. End of discussion. You can not do that. So the question is answered. Can you as a Christian keep living in sin? The answer, no. But it doesn't stop there. It starts to unpack why it's a no. And that's the important thing. Here's what I want you to get. Ready? It's really super duper, uber important. 
For most of us in our Christian life, we just stop there. Is it okay to be a Christian and sin? No. In discussion, have a nice day. Well, the problem is this. If we haven't explained the why, then you do not know the power by which you can stop sinning. Does that make sense? Have you ever really, really, really wanted to not sin, and then doggone it, you do it? Nobody? You're all liars. Great. Awesome. How do you not do that? I mean, the Bible is nothing if not practical. So how do you not do that? How do you not sin? And the rest of this passage leading into verse 11 is going to explain that. How does that work? Like, how do we not do that? Right? Which is what we really all need. So verse 2 again answers the question, by no means, but then gives a reason. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Again, if you got a Bible, circle the word died. Now, here's what I want you to do. A little homework as we're together, okay? Where as we go through verses 1 through 11, I want you to circle and make note of every time some variation of the word death is used. Death, died, dying. Some of your translations may use different words. But for most of our translations, you're going to land at 12 or 13 times in those 11 verses. The word, some variation of the word death is used. 13 times. I have the ESV. 13 times in the ESV, the word death is used to describe you and sin. And that is profoundly important. We have to understand this. Why is that a big deal that it describes it as that? Because death changes the relationship. Why is it so painful when someone we love dies? Because that relationship is now over. Now, as Christians, we understand they are more alive today than ever. We understand that the dead in Christ are going to rise. We're going to stand that we're going to see them today one, one day again in heaven. If we trust by faith in Christ, we understand all that. But on this earth, in this life, that relationship is over. It's done. Uh, I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that Marie and I had a dear friend uh, suddenly pass away. And actually over the July 4th holiday, we had a chance to spend an afternoon with his wife and kids. We sat down with his wife, his widow, and we talked, and we remembered, and we laughed, and we talked about all of the crazy things that dude used to say and do. And we were sad because he wasn't there and it just felt weird. We remembered and cherished those memories and told stories. But you know the, thing, the one thing we didn't do? Talk to Curtis. You know why we didn't talk to him? Because he's dead. That relationship is done. It's changed. It is forever in this life altered and finished and it's significant that that same terminology that same experience is the way it's describing you in sin especially this is one of the things where you know the bible will say in romans chapter 8 that god um, makes all things work together for good one of the ways that he does that is this especially if you have lost someone that you loved dearly and how painful that is because you know the breaking off and the separation of that relationship God can, one of the ways God can use that for good 
is I would encourage you to take that understanding that you, in, that you deeply get now and apply that to you in sin in the same way that that relationship is altered physically. Your relationship with sin is completely altered spiritually. You're dead to it. You're dead to it. You know what you don't do with dead things? Hang out with them. You don't live with them. You don't fellowship with them. You don't talk with them. You don't play with them. You're dead to it. It goes on in verse 3 explaining kind of how that happens. How do we die to sin? What does that look like? Because you're going, I, I, I don't remember dying. right? I'm very much alive. Sin feels very much alive. I don't understand how anything has died here. How does that work? Romans chapter 6 verse 3 is going to say that happened through Jesus and his death. Look at verse 3. Do you not know? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too might walk in newness of life. Uh, Real quick. In the beginning of verse 3. A little phrase that says do you not know. All right, So uh, four words in English. It's actually one word in Greek. Agnoeo. Right? I, I, I try to refrain from going total geek on you unless it matters. And I think it matters here. That little word agnoeo in Greek. It means to make a mistake that causes significant harm. To foolishly do something that causes harm. To be ignorant of something that will hurt you. It's the equivalent of this. If you walked outside after service and you found someone standing on the roof and they said, I'm going to jump off and float down like a feather. You're going to say, uh, do you not know about gravity? That's not a thing that's going to happen. Do you not know that you're going to get hurt if you jump? Do you not know about the, the, the absolute immutable laws of gravity that will make you go splat? You can't do that. And that's the same word it's using about us in sin. He's saying to us, listen to me very carefully. He's saying to you, do you not know that you're dead to that? Don't you know? Don't you know that Jesus died to that sin so that you can be dead to that sin? You don't live in that anymore. You don't have relationship with that anymore. You don't have communication with that anymore. You're dead to it. And it uses the the illustration of baptism. So if you've ever seen us do a baptism here, what do we do? We take you all the way under. We hold you under to make sure it takes. Then we bring you up. Why do we do that? Because we have Baptists on the sign and we're obligated? No. We do it because the Bible teaches us to do it that way because it's showing something important. If you've ever been baptized here, I've told you, baptism represents two things. It's a picture that represents two things. The reason you go all the way under and all the way back up is because, one, it's a picture of Jesus. Jesus died and was buried and then rose again to new life. And it's a picture, secondly, of you. You, in Jesus, died to your sin, were buried in the grave with Jesus, and then rose again to new life in him. What verses 3 and 4 are saying to you is this. Don't you know what that means? Don't you know what that means? You're dead to that stuff. 
It doesn't have to have power or sway or authority over you any longer. Dead people can't tell you what to do. And dead sin can't control you either. You're dead to it. And having this truth be foundational in your heart changes everything. Why can we say Christians don't live in sin? Because you're dead to that and you don't hang out with dead people. You're dead to it. Uh, Verse 5 goes on farther. It explains what happens next. So you've died to sin. You've rose again to new life. What does that new life look like? Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So if you have a Bible, I want you to circle the word united. Let's unpack that for a moment. Um, If you have a King James, it may say something like planted together. Same word. It literally means to be born with something. It can be translated congenital. Right? So what's a congenital defect or disease? That means something that you're born with. If you're born with congenital heart disease, what does that mean? A congenital heart defect. It means when you were literally being formed in your mother's womb, there was something wrong with your heart that became literally built into you. And you were born with this built into your body. Right? You did nothing to affect it, nothing to change it, nothing to cause it. It literally just formed that way and you were born with it. Down syndrome, what is that? You're born with an extra chromosome. It's literally just built into the DNA from the ground up. It's congenital. It is something you're born with. And it's the same word. This is so cool. It's the same word that God uses to describe you and Jesus when you were born again. So the Bible says salvation is you being born again. In John chapter 3, Jesus is trying to explain this to a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is saying, how can these things be true? How can this be possible? And Jesus says, well, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can someone who's old be born again? I got to be honest, I don't think my mom's going to be cool with that. Right? It's like, mom, good news and bad news. Good news is I can be a Christian. Bad news is we need to do something. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Not physical, spiritual. When you become a Christian, you are born again. And the Bible says that when you're born again, you are born united with Jesus. What this means is you are born with a spiritual DNA that Jesus is supernaturally woven into. You are born again with Jesus literally in you. You are not the same person. You are not the same individual. You do not have the same desires and wants and longings and fears. You are different because you are born with something innately, just like a from a negative perspective, you could be born with a congenital effect, with something that is innately in you. Spiritually, you are born again with a congenital blessing of Jesus innately in you. You are different. You're different. If you're a Christian, you are not the same. You are different. You have died to sin, and you have been supernaturally born again with Jesus woven into your spiritual DNA. You are not the same person. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 is going to say, the old is gone. Behold, all new has come. It's like creation. It's like Genesis 1 all over again. You are created brand new. You're not the same 
And what happens as a result of that, verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus died for you so that you can be set free from the slavery to sin. Um, Yesterday, my family and I went and saw the movie Sound of Freedom. It's a good flick. I encourage you to go watch that. The point of the movie is children being saved from sex slavery. And, And I think the reason that movie is resonating so deeply... One, yes, uh, sex slavery is a scourge on society. And yes, anything involving kids just, just seems to hit different. But I think the real reason that movie is resonating so deeply is because we don't even realize it's a picture of the gospel. When you're seeing this, you are literally seeing the gospel on film. Because what happened was this. You and I, We're slaves to Satan, held captive by him to do his will. His bidding, his desire, what he wants for us, and we could say no for nothing. But then a hero came to rescue you. Not with a gun and not with a fist, but with a cross. And Jesus died in your place for your sin, to rescue you out of that slavery and set you free. And this is why Christians going back into sin is so insane. Because it is the equivalent of someone being set free from that kind of slavery going, you know what, I'm going to go back and be a sex slave again. I'm just choosing to do that. We would think, that's crazy. No one would do that. You've been set free. You You don't have to be in bondage to that anymore. That's the same kind of craziness that happens when Christians who have been set free through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ go back into sin. It's like, why why would you go back into slavery? You've been set free from that. That's why verse 7 says, For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. With the life he lives, he lives to God. Jesus died to sin. Jesus rose again to new life. And new life is passed on to you and I through faith in him. This is your reality. And this is where we then jump in to verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves Dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Man, let's unpack this verse because it is awesome. Look first at the word consider. It's an accounting term. It means to count up money that's in an account, right? To count up money that's in the bank. So (laughs) if you are under the age of 30, let me educate you. There used to be these things called checkbooks, right? And so you would write things, write numbers and names on a checkbook and then tear it off, and then hand it to someone, and then they go to the bank, and they would cash that check, or put that in the bank, and money would come out of your account. Now, in the back of a checkbook, there was a little ledger. 
And there are two types of people in this world. Right? Person number one, you meticulously kept track of every cent. And if you found that your ledger was off by two pennies, you spent your entire night scouring all of your records, trying to figure out where those two pennies went. Then there's person number two. Person number two had literally no idea what was in their account. You know what we did? Called that little automated number. Right? Your friends come by and go, hey, you want to go out tonight? Hang on a second. Yep, I'm good. Let's go. (laughs) However it worked for you, the idea is this. When you realize what's in your account and you know I can cover that, you have no problem spending that money. You have to know the truth of what's in the account. And that's what he's trying to get here in verse 11. You need to understand the facts and reality of what's in your spiritual bank account. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says that Jesus became poor so that you could become spiritually rich. He gave you all of his righteousness and all of his peace and all of his holiness and all of his life. And everything that is right and holy and good was given to you through Jesus. You now have everything you'll ever need for all of life and godliness. What he's trying to help us understand is this. There is nothing that you're in need of nothing you're lacking. You need to consider this as fact. I know it's true. I know it's true. I am righteous and holy and pure and clean before God because of Jesus. I know this is my reality. You must, you must consider this to be true. Three times in this passage, he uses the word know. I want you to know this, know this, know this. Verse 3, don't you know that you've been baptized into Jesus' death? Verse 6, we know our old self was crucified with Jesus. Verse 9, we know that Jesus died and rose again. And verse 11 is saying, because we know these things are true, I consider myself totally dead to sin, totally alive to God. You're dead to sin now. You're dead to everything that sin brings. The pain and the shame and the guilt and the consequence. You're dead to those things. And now you're alive to God and all that comes with Him. The peace and the joy and the holiness and the life and the power. And all of this is true in Jesus. You must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. These things are not true of you because you're awesome. These things are not true of you because you don't struggle with sin. These things are true of you because Jesus. The most important thing about you is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. Because Jesus is holy and he's passed his holiness on to you, you are now holy. So I don't I don't feel holy. If I'm honest, I don't live holy. I didn't say that, and I didn't ask you that. That's why verse 11 says you must consider this to be true. You must know this is fact. You must understand that this is your reality. You must count it as true. I'm dead to sin, and I'm alive to God because of Jesus. This is my reality. This is and when that truth becomes cemented into your heart, it changes literally everything. I'll give you a couple of examples that I've seen. 
Um, one, um, uh, a dear friend and mentor of mine named Mark Malding um, taught me a lot about life in Christ and what that looks like. He, he shared a story with me once. So he has um, adult children, but when his boys were teenagers, he'd have conversations with them about purity and lust and those sorts of things. And he said he was having a conversation with one of his sons and uh, sat down with him. He said, son, you know, I just want just to have an honest conversation. I just want to ask, um, do you struggle with lust and specifically viewing things on your electronics that, that you shouldn't be viewing? And he said, my son sort of hung his head and said, yeah, yeah, I do. He said, okay. He said, well, talk me through that. Like, what is, how does that come about? What is that, what does that work like? He said, well, usually I'm alone in my room and just sort of flipping through whatever and just have a temptation to look at this or go to that website. And he said, a lot of times I'll sit and go, you know, I'm not, I don't want to, I'm not going to do that. 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 And I try really, really hard not to do it. He said, okay, how, how does that work? He said, well, sometimes it works. Most of the time it doesn't. I said, all right. Um, so then what? He said, well, if I do it, he said, I just feel with a lot of guilt and shame and regret and just feel stupid and God, why did I do that? And spend a couple of days begging God to forgive me and promising I'm never do again. And he said, okay, well. Does that work? He said, no, usually I do it again. It's okay. He said, well, let's try this. Um, next time that temptation comes, here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you, first, you're a Christian, yes? Well, yes. You, you trusted by faith in Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Yes. So you, you believe that you have Jesus Christ living inside of you through his spirit, and you are truly dead to sin and you're alive to God because of Jesus. You believe that is true of you? Yes. Okay, here's what I want you to do. Next time that temptation comes up, I want you to stop, and I want you to literally speak over yourself and say, this is not who I am in Christ. I am not a lustful person in Christ. I'm a holy person in Christ. I am dead to this sin, and I'm alive to God because of you, Jesus. I ask you, Jesus, empower me to live your life today and say no to this sin and turn to you. He said, I want you to do that. He said, okay. A couple weeks later, he's talking to his son again. He said, so just checking in. Um, how, are, how, how are things going with what we talked about you know, the other day? He said, well, to be honest, I, I did it again. He said, okay. He said, um, did you deal with it the way that I encourage you to. He said, no, I didn't. He said, okay, I want you to do that. I want you to focus on not the sin and not you trying really, really, really hard not to do it. I want you to focus on your righteousness. I want you to focus on by faith in Jesus. You are dead to that sin. It has no power or authority over you, and you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want you to set your heart on that and let that be what drives you to say no to that temptation. It's okay. He said uh, a week or so later, he's in his office. His phone rings. It's his son. So he answers it. And his son just starts screaming. It works! Dad, like, it works! Like, it happened. Like, I did it. And I did what you said. And I did it. It works! 
it worked. And this isn't some magic formula that we're... What it is is this. It is believing Romans 6.11 and considering yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. Consider that to be true. We had another situation, some good friends of ours. Um, so I was able to lead this gentleman to Christ and, and disciple him. And um, after a couple of months of him being a Christian, he, he came and he sat down with me. He said, I need to talk to you. It's okay. He said... Um, you know I'm a Christian now. I said, yeah. He said, you know God's really changed me. I said, yeah. He said, um, so there are some things I used to do before I got saved that I, I feel like I need to come clean about. Okay. He said, um, I, uh, I've been unfaithful to my wife. I said, oh, oh, man. Okay. Um, so when did that happen? He said, well, um, we dated all through college, and we've been married for about 10 years, so I guess we've been together 14, 15 years now. Um, I've never been faithful to her. I said, okay. I said, um, so how many are we talking about? He said, I honestly don't know. Okay. I said, um, so you know what you got to do, right? He said, I know. So he left me, drove home to speak with his wife. And it's about a 10-minute drive to get to his house. So about 15 minutes after he left me, my phone rang, and it was his wife. And she said, so I'm going to need you to get over here right now before I kill him. I said, I'm on my way. <clears throat> so I walked in. And uh, as you can imagine, she, well, hands down, worst day of her life. Not even close. Worst day of her life. Uh, she looked and sounded like she'd literally just been run over by a truck. Um, and so he took the kids and went off. And Marie came over and she and I spent the day with her. And... Um, and we just spent the day praying and reading scripture and letting her scream and yell and say things that I can't repeat right now. Um, and we just kind of went through the day. And um, at the end of the day, she looked at us and said, okay, I'll give you this much. I know I'm supposed to forgive him. I said, you know what? That's a pretty awesome day one win. We'll go with that. That's fantastic. That's great. So that began a long process. That began a process of a lot of discipleship, a lot of conversation, a lot of counseling, a lot of good days, and a whole lot of bad. Um, I would just get random texts on a Tuesday afternoon, him saying, hey, pray for us. It's not a good day. Right? She'd just be in the kitchen washing dishes and a thought would come in her head and you know you'd be gone um so so we began to kind of walk through this but what i began to notice was over time remarkable spiritual growth in her and an absolutely ridiculous amount of forgiveness and grace 
So, so I asked her one day, I said, so what's up with that? I'm like, where's that coming from? And she said, well, I came to a point where I had to realize Romans 6, 11 has to be true of me. I must, as a follower of Jesus Christ, if I believe that Jesus truly died for my sin in my place and rose again to give me new life, I must consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus. So that means, as a Christian, I'm dead to unforgiveness. I'm dead to bitterness. I'm dead to anger. I'm dead to resentment. I'm dead to jealousy. And I'm alive to grace and humility and love and forgiveness because I'm in Jesus. And I have to know that that is true of me. And I was floored, right? I'm, I'm like, I know the verse. I preach the verse. I'm like, well, I'll be doggone. You're doing it. Wow, that's amazing. What is she doing? She's literally just actually, listen to me. Here's what she's doing. She's actually believing Christianity is true. She's actually choosing to live the life that Jesus died to give her. And that's available for you as well. So I love this verse, man. So you also, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the foundational truth for actually living a holy life. Now there may be other practical things you need to do. James 5.15 is going to say that we should confess our sins one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. So there may be Something where you need to confess sin to a trusted brother or sister in Christ and, and seek counsel for them and have an accountability partner. That's great. That, that might need to happen. Matthew 5, 29 and 30 says, If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. What does that mean? Well, that's not literal, right? We're not going to break out hatchets during the invitation. But it is saying... There may be some things and some people and some situations and some circumstances that you need to cut out your life because they're creating opportunities for you to be tempted well beyond what you need to be. You need to cut that stuff out. So maybe you need to do that, and that's great. But, but the point of what I want you to see is this. The answer is not you getting an accountability partner. And the answer is not you ditching your smartphone and going to a flip phone. Right? Now, those may be practical things that you might need to do. But those aren't the answer to you walking in holiness. The answer to you walking in holiness is first, you considering it to be a fact. That through faith in Jesus Christ, you are totally and completely, 100% dead to sin. You're dead to it. You have no relationship, no love for it, no pursuit of it. You're dead to it, and you're alive to God. So you love him, pursue him, talk to him, seek fellowship with him now. You're dead to this, and you're alive to that. We focus too much on what we're dead to. No wonder we struggle to get set free from sin. We keep digging up the grave and looking at the dead body. I heard an interview this week from a mom who had both of her sons murdered. It's a tragic, horrible thing. 
totally innocent, minding their own business, killed. And this mom is being interviewed about this. And she's walking through you know, the difficulty of that and the pain of that. And, and, and all. But at the end of the interview, she said something that just struck me. She said, but I got to a point where I realized I cannot focus so much on the dead that I neglect the living. I'm focusing so much on my sons who have passed I'm completely ignoring my other kids and my grandkids and my husband and my friends. As much as I love my son and as much as I'm heartbroken for them, there does come a point where we've got to keep living. You can't focus on the dead so much that you neglect the living. And spiritually speaking, here's the thing. So often we focus on the dead sin and not the living God. We focus on the dead to the neglect of the living. We stare at our dead sin and go, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that. Well, what do you end up doing? No. Set your focus and attention on the living God. You're dead to sin. You're alive to God. Build that relationship. Focus there. Set your mind, heart, affection there. See how life-changing this is? It changes the whole paradigm, everything. And, and today, if you're not a follower of Christ, here's my encouragement for you. You today can be set free. You can be set free. You can be set free from sin. You can be set free from shame. You can be set free from the guilt. You can be set free from the condemnation. You can be set free and made new. Do you want that? Do you want that? The answer is found in Jesus. Jesus Christ died in your place, was buried, and rose again so that you can be set free from your sin and have a real living relationship with God who loves you and cares for you and desires to shower you with grace and compassion and mercy and hope. Today, right where you are today, say, Jesus Christ, I know that you died for my sin. I know that you rose again. I trust you, Jesus. Take away my sin and make me new. I live my life for you now. Make me dead to sin and alive to God. I need you. I need you. Today, do that. And if you are a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you. Take, take one quick second again and, and look intently at that verse, Romans 6.11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. Today, settle that as truth in your hearts. Because of Jesus, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, you are free from sin. You're dead to sin. You're alive to God. So we're going to end our time today singing the name of Jesus proclaiming the name of Jesus over our lives, over our families, over this world, focusing our hearts, our affections, our minds on Jesus because that's who we're alive to now. And as we set our minds and our affections and our hope on Jesus, the things of this world grow strangely dim. They just fade away because we're dead to that. We're alive to God. 
So, Lord, I pray for us today that the truth of Romans 6, 11 is not just a word on a page or verse to be read or memorized, but a foundational truth that changes our lives. Jesus, because of who you are and what you've done, we must consider ourselves to be dead to all sin and alive to God. So I pray today as we proclaim your name, Jesus, this truth becomes deep into our hearts and changes us for your glory. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's stand, all of us, worshiping together the great name of Jesus. Break every stronghold. 
you guys have a great